and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Paul Tanter. I'm Ange Johnson. And I'm Matt Brooks. And we are thrilled to have a very special guest with us this week. He's a director and producer whose names will be very familiar to fans of British comedy, having worked on, amongst other things, The Young Ones, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap, Canned Carrot, The Full Wax, The Detectives, Lenny Henry and Pieces, Absolutely Fabulous, The Vicar of Dibley, My Family, French and Saunders, Kevin and Perry Go Large, 40 episodes of Red Dwarf, and, of course, Series 1 and 2 of Bottom, both directing and producing the show. Ed By. Welcome and thank you for joining us. It's a privilege to have you talking bottom with us. Thank you very much for having me. That's a great introduction. Somebody write that down. <laughs> oh, you have. <laughs> have <anything. laughs> I was I was scouring scouring your CV, and it's a very extensive CV, I must say. No, yeah, it's because I'm so old. <laughs> How old are you? I can't discuss that. <laughs> um, just a little bit over. <laughs> I've got an Oyster card, but I can travel free on the underground. I'm not prepared to say anything. <laughs> it's a fantastic back catalogue that you have, Ed. And we'd like to start by asking you a bit about your journey to producing and directing right. such iconic BBC shows. Why did you first pursue production as a career? I think it was I was in I was doing my A levels at Kingston College of Further Education. I was sitting in a refectory, which is a sort of posh word for a place where you can sit and nothing else happens. <laughs> and I was sitting with a friend of mine who was a part-time drug dealer. <laughs> and he uh, said to me, and you know the drug dealers have that kind of nasal twang? Mm. So he sort of went, man, um, what is it you want to do? And I said, uh, well, go to the pub. And he went, no, nah, mate, but further on, you know, in life. And I thought, I don't know. I had no idea. And he said, well, what do you like doing, man? And so I said, well, I, I like going to the cinema and watching TV, telly at home. And he went, well, why don't you work in that? And this sort of light bulb <laughs> went off over my head. I thought, yeah, work in the thing that you like doing most, which is, you know, watching movies and watching TV. Yeah, so I sort of pursued that. And I kind of had a feeling that, I, you know, it was something I really wanted to do. So I then went to a place called Ravensbourne College of Further Education in Bromley, did a TV production course there. And then that's what really spurred me on, you know. And then mm. I, well, I turned up to the BBC, I said, give me a job. And they went, no. <laughs> and so I worked in a theatre. You had to do that in those days. You had to work in the theatre. So I worked in the theatre for a couple of years, mm. went back to the BBC, I said, give us a job. They went, no. <laughs> and then I met someone who was a production manager at the BBC and she was married to the head of studio management at the BBC and I got to know her and got her to say to her husband give Ed by a job or I'll make the divorce very difficult <laughs> so he reluctantly gave me a floor assistant floor sorry no let me get this right a, a assistant Floor assistant, actually, a floor assistant's job on holiday relief, mm. which means that you're only on employed for about three months. And I think the pay was about seven pounds. Wow. Um, what, yeah. an hour? No, no, no <laughs> a, a week. <laughs> Gosh. So you got your in? With the yeah, I got my mm. in. And then once I was in, um, you know, it was as fun as I thought it would be. Okay. And was it comedy shows that you wanted to work on at the BBC or did that happen well, by sort of happy that sort of happened by happen chance. What? What I did want to do is I wanted to work on the shows that I like watching. Like, so I thought, I want to work on Top of the Pops mm. so that I can say to everybody, I've worked on Top of the Pops, which was massive in those yeah. days. Yeah. And also, there were certain shows on around that time that were just unbelievably good. 
that were comedy shows, like mm. Forty Towers and stuff. It's really who you've got to work with. So I started mm. to work with a guy called Paul Jackson. I did various things with him, you know, as you're working your way up, mm. like the two Ronnies and... Uh, uh, well, he did a pilot called Boom, Boom, Out Go the Lights. And while we were working on the two Ronnies, he handed me the script and said, what do you think of this? And it was the young ones. Mm. So, I work, so I worked on, with him on that, but mm. not as a director, you know, sort of... Mm. As a, a lower person, yeah, and it developed from there really, Fantastic. and so uh, that swung me into comedy. Mm. With him as a producer, I did things like Girls on Top, uh, and of course Red Dwarf, and then Bottom emerged. Mm. Bottom emerged, <laughs> gaping. So <laughs> the gaping bottom emerged. Yes. So was working on the Young Ones the first time that you met Rick and Aid? No, because this pilot called Boom Boom Out Go The Lights, it was a strange little show and these new alternative comedians were showcasing their stuff. So that's the first time I think I met Rick. So was that sort of sketch based or was it? Uh, was there yeah, it was it? sort of character sketches. Yeah. Right. So he would come on and play Rick the poet <laughs> and sure. Aid and uh, was playing the piano. I think with, with Rick as well, they were doing double act, Peter Richardson, okay. Alexi Sale, they were all on it. A lot of them just got their equity cards on that show. Really? They've never been on telly before. Mm. Yes, I think that's the first time I met him. So we yeah. couldn't get a uh, straight uh, answer from, from the internet, but um, mm. what it looked like from the IMDb thing is you mm. want your first directing credit is on an episode of The Young Ones. Is that Did you do some of Summer Holiday, the last episode? or No, I didn't. In fairness, I didn't direct. That's, that's interesting. It's come up before. I never really directed anything in The Young Ones. What... Uh, they were either directed by Jeff Posner or Paul Jackson. I might have done the odd shot, in a, you know, in a film, but in the film inserts. But certainly, no, I didn't really direct any of it. But what did happen is after the end of the second series, when I was a production manager, and in those days a production manager was the production manager, the floor manager, <laughs> the location manager, a sort of half accountant. <laughs> um, and so he did all those jobs together. And at the end of the series... Paul was setting up an independent production company, so he was kind of busy. So he just said, edit the shows, which is what I did. Okay. So that's how I learned to edit, by editing the second series of The Young Ones. Did doing all of those jobs kind of prepare you well, do you think, to, to go on to produce stuff? Yes, I mean, producing was slightly different in those days. So, like, producing Bottom would be... It's not, it's not the same job as it is now, and you won't really find many producer directors I mean there are people called producer directors but they're not they're not producing as in terms of producing a whole series or yeah. something like that because the way that the broadcasting's worked and the way that money works it was much more flexible in those days yeah. what happened to me was yeah that I was producing directing for a while with Red Dwarf and uh, and Bottom and after that it came to a point where you're going to go well you're either going to produce or direct you can't do both right because the producer is the one now in charge of looking after the money and the director is the one in charge of spending it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I find myself having to give myself a bollocking a lot for <laughs> overspending. And then I thought, well, what are the choices? I like directing yeah. more than producing, so I went that way. Okay. Did you meet Rick and Aid for the first time on set or were you, did you see their stuff live before you worked with them on a show? Or how, how did that happen? Uh, they, they used to, there used to be a lot of comedy clubs in London and there would be a lot of new comedy comedians around, alternative comedians. And so I would go and watch a lot of those. I'm trying to remember if I ever met Rick or Aid through that. I don't 
think so. But obviously, once we started rehearsing mm-hmm. for uh, for um, the young ones. Well, can you remember your first impression of them at all? Yeah, I thought they were brilliant. I saw them on stage and I thought that, you know, you kind of think, God, this is, these are great. These guys are great. This is what I want to do. This is, these are the people I want to work with. And I think they'd been on TV as the Dangerous Brothers before mm. then. And I was a big fan of that yeah. when they did Saturday Night, well, the UK version of Saturday Night Live. I can't actually remember the first time I met them. Probably at somebody's party and I got drunk. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> or the club called the Zanzibar and got drunk. Or something like that. Sure. Chances are you were drunk, though, when it happened. Well, yes. Yeah. I'm drunk <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes, I'm drunk now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you also directed a few episodes of Phil Hewitt's and Cat Flap. Is mm. that right? My favourite scene in that is the Triple Pursuit scene, where yeah. that feels like a scene out of bottom. It really... Yeah. That's where it feels like it's kind of hitting, it's it's finding its feet and stuff and things. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, did you direct that, that episode? No, what no. I was directing then is I was directing the outside stuff. Okay, the so stuff the, film stuff. the film stuff. Okay. I didn't do the multi-camera stuff because um, Paul did that. But the film stuff, we did shoot one sequence, which I really liked, which is where a taxi flies into the Manchester ship canal and sinks. <laughs> Right, and we turned up for the recce. I mean, okay, so the taxi goes in here and disappears under the water. We're all great, and then the special effects guy, genius called Peter Rag, got into the water, and he went, "It's only a foot deep." (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) So in the end, we had to we sent the taxi into the water, and then obviously cut off to something else, and we then had just a roof of a taxi, Uh, which was sunk under the foot to make it. To make it disappear, I was really pleased with that. The magic of TV. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's a nice exotic shoot. Actually, thinking yeah. about it. So obviously, you got three of the young ones in that show. Was there like a shadow over that series from cast by the young ones? Was there any? Do, do you know what I mean? Did it feel like? Oh, you, you mean in Filthy Rich and Catfish? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think because the young ones was written in by Ben Elton and Lisa Mayer and Rick Mayer. And I think Cat Flat was principally written by Ben. So um, it didn't quite have the collaborative power that the other ones did. Mm. But, I mean, I really liked it. I thought it was a fun, funny show. Um, and Absolutely. it was more in the same style. But it didn't go down quite as well. Yeah, yeah. but you can see the genesis of Richie and Eddie oh, in yes. Filthy Rich and yeah, Cat yeah, Flat yeah. before they yeah, went that on to Boston. mixed up with the Dangerous Brothers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that the first time they used the character names Richie and Eddie? Might be. Might yeah. be. I think Don't it know. is. Pass. <laughs> I'll be saying that a lot. But it's it's an interesting kind of progress in that so the young ones is about youth and so and so forth, and then filthy rich and cat flap is kind of about an entry yeah. into the world of media and that kind of thing. Yeah, and there's this sort of um, myth, which is probably true, that if you make TV shows about TV, mm. they're less popular. Yeah, um, that's probably some truth in that. I think people are interested in the minutiae and the, and the behind-the-scenes workings, yeah. but they're, 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 they're sometimes there are in-jokes, aren't there, yeah. that maybe people don't yeah. fully get. It's not recognisable yeah. to I, your average yeah. Joe Bloggs. Yeah, I yeah. found that people just do not want to hear that it's not a great, amazing, magical place where all your dreams <laughs> <Yeah>. come true. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but they need to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's also like when you celebrate the, in- the industry that you're working in yeah. in that way, 
for some viewers, it feels like that they're watching a party that they haven't been invited to. It's <laughs> yeah. mm. a good analogy. So the first, the pilot for Bottom was, mm. I believe, shot in 1989. Mm-hmm. You directed the pilot as well as the rest of the series, didn't yes. you? Yes. Do, do you remember how it was sort of first pitched to you? Uh, were you approached? Did you hear about it and, and asked to work on it? Well, what happened was is that Paul Jackson was involved in the, the genesis of that show. But then because he'd left and set up his own company, it was sort of left hanging in the air. I was always down to direct it mm. and him to produce. But because he was unable to produce it, it sort of just fell into my lap, really. Yeah. Mm. So we shot the first episode. And I remember Alan Yentop, who was then head of BBC Two, came round to our house. I don't know why. <laughs> he said to me, he said, now this pilot thing bottom I went yes he said can you change your name I went no (laughs) and he said so tell me who's actually in charge of this project and I said well I am he went yes no but actually who really (laughs) is in charge of this project (laughs) I said it's me he went what he said yeah I'm producing and directing it he went shit (laughs) he said keep me informed I went okay he said listen I need to do some trade-offs he said if you want a series you've got to cut some stuff out and so I said, yeah, sure, no problem, and then just didn't do it. Right. Mm. Do you remember what he wanted cut out? It's, that's a very good question. Because you know, When anyone says that's a good question, yeah. it means mm. they don't know the answer. Because right. um, the show was called Your Bottom or My Bottom is yeah. something that is sometimes bandied around mm. and that had to be dropped. Yeah, Yeah. no, the, we hung on to that. Mm. It was something within it. It might have been something to do with... I don't know, I have to come back to you on oh, that. I wonder if it would have been something like the darker elements. The pilot episode opens with mm. Richie pretending to, well, or, you know, attempting suicide mm. in a sort mm. of way to get yeah. Eddie to buy him a drink, which I, yeah. I think is wonderfully dark, but I wonder if that's yeah. the kind of thing that would mm. worry someone at the BBC. No, that didn't worry them, funny enough. And I sort of came up with that because I thought it'd be funny that yeah. it looked like he's about to kill himself and he's not at all. Uh, no, it wasn't that. It was more to do with anything to do with wanking. Oh, right. <laughs> so if it was anything in that episode to do with wanking, then There's it was... There's loads in there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. You wanted half the show for that. <laughs> but um, we didn't cut any of it. But I sort of said we would, just to secure the series, yeah. and then mm. we just let it run. I mean, you must have felt quite vindicated down the line when the show went on to you know run for several series. A lot of the jokes were based around that kind of theme. Yeah. I mean, you know, you learn by experience. So, you know, once they... I mean, all, all credit should go to Rick and Aid, really. I mean, who wrote it? Yeah. Because that's the starting point. You can't do anything without a script. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it's easy for a director to, to shag up a, a good script. Uh, but it's impossible for a director to make a bad script good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the essence of it. And, of course, once we've done the pilot, then by learning through experience, you can then yeah. develop the series. What was it like directing them, considering that they wrote the show as well? It's often said that they were very, very much perfectionists. Uh, yeah. So to direct the the actors who also wrote it... Well, I, in a way, I prefer that, because mm. then I've got the people who wrote it sitting in front of me, and I can then say to them, well, what was in your head? You right. know? And it's rare that they would come up and go, well, I don't understand this line, because yeah. they wrote it. <laughs> I like that, because then you... You've got in their heads, they know exactly what they want to do. Yeah. So there's less sort of lost in translation business. Uh, yeah, so they were pretty precise. Although, uh, interestingly, that uh, in your podcast about the, the fight in that episode mm. in the uh, bathroom, that was sort of worked out literally four days before we did it. Right. Mm. So, you know, the special effects guys had to, at the last minute, get 
cabinets that you can smash okay. over people's heads and breakable doors and things. And I remember being in rehearsal and saying to Rick and Aid, look, it just says fight seat. <laughs> can we actually nail what it is that we want to do? Yeah. And event, I kept putting it off and putting it off, and eventually I went, yeah, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay. And so then I looked at it and went, shit, that's good. But man, <laughs> how are we going to do this in mm. three days? Yeah. But we did it. Did they? Did you have a fight choreographer, or was, did they kind of plan it? Was um, it between all They're of you? very good at it. Yeah. They don't need anyone to show them how to take punches and stuff mm. or throw them. Um, no, I mean, that sequence was unusual in those days, is that I decided to shoot it with one camera, just handheld, mm. covering each moment so it gets cut together. Yeah. Mm. So it's more shot like a film, that right. little sequence. Um, and it worked really well because it was handheld. It gives that kind of yeah. dynamism. Mm. Was Is that the, the right word? Dynamism. Dynamicness. Dynamism. Was, okay. yeah. was this before or after the Marooned episode of Red Dwarf? Because you did a similar thing with that in that you, yeah. you shot it single camera handheld. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember, <laughs> uh, but I quite, I'm quite a fan of handheld stuff. I mean, one yeah. of the reasons for that is that we do a lot of stuff. When I was working with Ruby on Channel 4, we would do a lot of in-the-street stuff. Right. Mm. And you notice that if it's dynamic, if she's running around, you follow her, with her it becomes much more dynamic. Yeah. And also, handheld sometimes gives you a sense of realism. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is that people are used to seeing news reports right. where they're you know, running around and washing cameras all over the place. So if you shoot handheld, it kind of gives it a bit more life. Mm. And yeah, so I did Marooned in the same way. In fact, I shot an entire series of a sitcom called The Ten Percenters, all handheld, all the cameras were handheld. Yeah. But, of course, it was knackering for the <laughs> cameraman. Yeah. So come down to the studio floor and most of them be sitting on chairs, yeah. but handheld. <laughs> R rubbing their necks. Yeah, saying, saying, you bastard. <laughs> when, you were, when you were directing Rick and Aid, was there ever any times that, obviously, they were the writers, they would have had a very strong idea of things. Was there ever any times when you sort of came up against them directing in that you thought something should have been done differently or you had a very clear idea of a, a way a scene should have been done but they had other ideas? No, not really. I tell you, the reason being is because it's a sitcom, you get four or five days rehearsal beforehand in an outside right. rehearsal room. So you iron out all the problems there. And it's not so much like, is this right or is this funny? Yeah. It's more like, how the hell do we do this? Mm. You know, right. There was one episode where Aid was dressed up as uh, death in a mm. black cowl mm -hmm. at night and so all the lights were low and of course I knew it was going to happen but when we started to shoot it you couldn't see him at all right. <laughs> and I said to the lighting director he looks like a black blob and the lighting director said that's because that's what he is <laughs> <laughs> anyway we, we managed to get it to work but it's more no, in, certainly with Bottom there's no disagreement about yeah. what the content of it was it's just how you get there. And mm. sometimes you change stuff. They would change stuff, or I'd suggest we change stuff. But they're very much their own guys, you know. If I made a suggestion, it was fine, and, and if I made a suggestion, it was crap. They just ignored it. Yeah. Mm. Was there any sort of difference in their working style on this one, because it was mainly just the two of them, than they had been on, say, Filthy Rich or The Young Ones or anything like that? Not that I saw, but you have to remember that they sat down forever in... Uh, in an office somewhere or somebody's house or a flat somewhere and wrote these things. Yeah. And I don't know if the style of, of writing changed, 
um, from before. Now, I mean, once we get to rehearsal, once you've got the scripts, yep. you follow the process yeah. that you know best. What was the sort of delay between you getting the pilot script and then getting the Series 1 scripts? Was there a um, Well, we shot the pilot, and as soon as they commissioned the series, then they started writing. And they produced all the scripts before we started, thank God. So you could plan it a little bit more carefully than you would if scripts are being delivered as they're rolling. Mm-hmm. It would have been difficult for them to do that anyway, performing it. Yeah. You was, have to get all the scripts in first. Was there any reason that you remember that Contest was, of course, filmed as the pilot but wasn't actually shown as the first episode? Smells went out as the first ever episode. Um, Contest is third in the run. I think the reason for that is, and it quite often happens with pilots, is that by the time you've done your series your pilot is not as good as the other shows. Mm. Not because it's not as good, that's not right, but it's because it was the first one made, you've learnt a lot more with the others. So we thought that Smells would work best as a first episode. Mm-hmm. And it really sort does. of steered it that way, yeah. deliberately, mm. and then then put contest further down. Mm-hmm. Did you more or less shoot them in the order that they are broadcasting? Or was, you did, uh, worked on one episode at a time, I'd imagine, because it's yes. Yeah, um, more or less, more or less. I, I, I have to be honest, I can't remember. <laughs> but um, the, the other thing is that with a show like that, it's impossible to do all the editing until you finished it mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do the editing for the way we would shoot it is that we would have a multi-camera studio and on the first day, the pre-record day, is without an audience. And so you record big scenes or stuff that involves a lot of uh, effects, things that are difficult to do in front of like an audience. piano coming through mm. the... Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, anything that uh, quite often some of the violence would be done as a pre-record because you've got to... It's a stop-start thing. Yeah. And mm. it, it would be disappointing for the audience to see it in sure. bits. So you try and do all the narrative stuff on the second day. So on the first day, we'd shoot the um, pre-records and then I would edit them and then they would be played in in the right story order to the audience on the second day but outside of that you couldn't really do any more post-production until you finish the whole shows so you sometimes reserve judgment on transmission order until you've cut them together right and Mm. see how they sit you get a good idea but you know there are so many fantastic scenes in bottom obviously Mm. the fight scenes I mean Mm. the chess fight is a a one that sticks in I think everyone's memories are there Mm. any other particular scenes that caused some difficulties or that you went home and felt really proud of achieving well it's funny you should mention that episode the chess scene Mm. because it was like a non-stop piece of narrative Mm. and you know normally in a sitcom you stop and you go back and either reshoot the scene again or you do pickups or you do retakes or whatever. This one just kept going on and on and on. And I sort of thought, you know, we could just shoot this all in one take, yeah. the entire episode. And I said, we have to force some breaks into this, guys, because, you know, otherwise I'm going to make, be making you go back and do stuff where, you know, costume and uh, blood and everything else mm. is now started to have to be taken off. So we forced some gaps and we couldn't think what we would work. And so simply because we needed to force gaps into that show, we came up with an idea of seeing how much custard you can get into your underpants <laughs> competition. Oh. And that was simply to force a break into it. And 
that was and that was pre-recorded. Otherwise, I would have had nothing to pre-record. And that's interesting. In the studio. Yeah. We wondered. It yeah. doesn't feel very bottom to have that cutaway. Yeah. yeah. Does it? No. Yeah. It yeah. was a, just a ridiculous idea we came <laughs> up with. And it's, you know, it's always nice to see the crew who come in to watch a re- run-through in, in the outside rehearsals before we get to the studio so you can see what yeah. we're going to do. And my, you know, the senior cameraman just not shaking his head and going, only on this show. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if that was a kind of um, spontaneous moment, that you, how did you prepare all the custard over the waters? Did, did you, some, mm. some poor prop guy <laughs> sweating custard? Yeah, I mean, what happened was, well, it, again, it came out of rehearsal, okay. so it wasn't actually yeah, in, sure. in the physical studio on the day, but it was only a few days before. Um, yeah, so again, Peter Rag invented this sort of giant pair of, iron underpants yeah. <laughs> that he wore and then the trousers were you know, made mm-hmm. to fit on top of it yeah. and it was full of custard. So uh, a quick one, um, I assume the sound effects were played live while recording, Is that, was that the case? Um, yes, anything that was pre-recorded obviously we'd st- stick the yeah. effects on but generally speaking yes we play them, play them live, it was something that came out of the young ones and we kept the, the, the tradition going and also it's much funnier, Yeah, mm. you know, so we have a selection of a selection of sound effects that we developed over the years. Were they your exclusive sound effects then for Sometimes Rick they were, yeah. Sometimes they were. Sometimes they're a mixture of things. You know, like bone cracks. Mm. Uh, weirdly, we discovered that plastic stirrers, if you twist them, make a sort of cracking noise. <laughs> so we recorded a lot of those. We sliced up. Again, we, some of this was developed in the young ones, but we'd slice up melons and smash up uh, <laughs> cabbages and... And also you then, because it's quite Tom and Jerry-like, we take quite a lot of punches from westerns. Right. So like John Wayne would go, I ain't going to hit you, the hell I ain't, smack. You know, it's a sound. <laughs> <laughs> the sound if it was that sound accurately reflected what he did, the guy's jaw would have shot off into another county. <laughs> but, uh, so we used a lot of those and mixed them up. And we definitely play them live. And okay, if you, if you miss it by a few... You know, but by a nanosecond, you can always pull the effect back mm. in the edit to make it bang on. But uh, there was one sequence. So Jem Whippy, I think, was the sound supervisor. I think Nick Roast was the uh, gram op who fires the button mm. for the effects. And it was, I think it was the episode with the burglar mm-hmm. played by Paul, mm-hmm. Paul Bradley. And they... He's under, I think he's, either he's under the carpet, but anyway, whatever happens is that Rick punches him and then uh, Aid hits him with a frying pan. taped to the ceiling? He was taped to yeah. the ceiling, but I think he comes down. Mm. But he's been beaten to death on the floor. It may not be Unless you're thinking of the gas, gas man. man. Maybe I'm thinking of the gas man. Um, it's the gas man. I got it all wrong. <laughs> Cut all that out. Shit, shit. Um, no, it's quite similar. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah. So the punching, that's right, it was gas man. So what happened was Rick punches him, Aid hits him on the head. Rick punches him, Aid hits him on mm. the head. And that was like the system mm-hmm. was we're going to do about five of those and then stop. <laughs> so, but, but then the competition started between Rick and Aid and the sound guy, Nick, <laughs> um, and Jem. So he punched him again. And he again and again and again, frying pan comes yeah. in, put more formal punching, another frying pan, a bit more punching, another frying pan. Each time he's hitting his button trying to get the uh, sound effect bang on. And he did really well. And then Rick threw him by pretending to punch and then mm-hmm. rubbing his hand and then punching him. And uh, Nick still, I could see him go, whoa, no, yes, now. And uh, it just went on forever. And I thought, you know, 
I thought it's one of those moments where you just sit in the gallery watching this and you sit, sit back and just go, let's just let it play out mm-hmm. and yeah. see what happens. And they just kept it, kept it going. It was very funny. Yeah, I've always wondered at that scene because it is such a long extended scene with yeah. the frying pan and then... I know, uh, I mean, I think I might have cut it down a bit, but it's still, <laughs> it still went on forever. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. The sound effects were, were vital, really. Mm-hmm. They became integrally part. They had their, like, they were an, another character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. We often single out our favourite sound effects mm. of each. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and some of them are obviously beefed up later on, but we like to at least play some of them live. Mm. They, are, they are often very uniquely, recognisably bottom-esque sound effects. Mm. They're not the kind of thing I think you hear elsewhere mm. in the BBC uh, sound no. library. Not really, no. I mean, Vic and Bob probably have something yeah. similar. But then a lot of those sound effects were developed for the young ones. Right. I think there's a, a bit in the young ones where Rick gets hit in the bollocks with a cricket bat <laughs> and he goes, ha-ha, missed both my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sound effect for that was developed by a guy called um, Phil Tyler. And he literally spent the weekend smashing melons with a cricket bat <laughs> to get the right sound perfect one. Uh-huh. and then brought it into work. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, full, yeah sound design, full credit yeah. due to those guys. And I've read that there was 35 minutes per episode of Bottom that were actually filmed and then it would be cut down. Is, is that true? Because there are some added lines in the script books that aren't in the final cut. Yes, that is true. I mean, we had to bring in the show at 30 minutes so what would happen is, yes, quite often we'd shoot a lot more. Mm-hmm. There was one episode where we came in at 45 minutes. Oh, wow. And we had to chop 15 minutes out. Part of the reason for that is that it's always good to have a little bit mm-hmm. left over so you can cut something that doesn't quite land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other reason is that the audience sometimes can get quite hysterical. <laughs> and if the laughs get longer and longer and longer... You kind of have to act your way through them, but it just adds time. Mm. So the the two options you've got is you can chop the laugh back so that you can keep things going, which occasionally I've done. But if something gets a big laugh, it's such a glorious moment. You Mm. don't want to let it go. Mm. So what happens is all these laughs add up and they start to add up and they can go up to three, four minutes of extra time, which you've now got to find somewhere else I understand so yeah. that there are some scenes on the cutting room floor then that never made made it to the even the bottom enlargement video yeah there are but to say that they're scenes is probably not right mm. what we do is we internally nip bits out mm. so to be honest with you I mean it would be lovely to say oh yeah there's a marvellous gem of brilliance <laughs> that's lying undiscovered but the the thing is, if it was that marvellous, we would have put it out. Yes. So it's bits. You mm. pull bits out, little lines, bits of dialogue, stuff like that. Mm. Do they exist anywhere? Probably. Mm. I mean, if you... Yes. I mean, I think the BBC, we shot... We used to shoot that on one inch. So it depends whether they've kept them or not. They're probably sat in an archive somewhere in a, in a Possibly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do remember when we remastered Red Dwarf, we dug out the old one-inch tapes. But... Um, as we played them, this sort of, it looked like a pile of cocaine was falling <laughs> off them because they built up this powder like like you get with battery acid yeah. on these old tapes. And as we played it, this stuff was just pouring on the floor and we thought, oh, shit, this will never work. But somehow they, they did. So if they're there, then it's there. Yeah. But, I mean, I wouldn't hold your breath because there'd be bits that we all agreed yeah. didn't quite work. Mm. 
there are often comparisons drawn between the characters and the grimy set design and mm. the the actual direction between Bottom and Steptoe and Son. Mm. Aid himself has said that him and Rick pretty mm. much ripped off their act. Was that something that they discussed with you prior um, to recording Bottom, or was it something that happened? No, that was something they developed. I mean, all of these things happen. A lot of this stuff happens in the writing process. Mm. So they kind of perform it as they're writing it to check it out and make mm. sure it works. And yeah, there is um, a Steptoe kind of thing that they obviously developed as they're writing it. But were yeah, you, so were you a before. fan of Steptoe mm. and Son? Yeah, I loved yeah. it. I thought Steptoe and Son was fantastic. Mm. Yeah, there was one episode where I think he made a Christmas pudding out of a potty. <laughs> it was just <laughs> disgusting. I loved it. Yeah, so a lot of that stuff happens in the writing mm. process, and I'm not there for that. Mm. I, I, I land, you know, I join it when and once mm. the scripts are written. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels, though, I think, between how yeah. you have the close-up on Harry H. Corbett mm. in Steptoe and Son and mm. him, you know, Albert in the background mm. and in, in Bottom. You get a lot of that with Richie and Eddie yes. kind of yeah, you're bound to. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Plus and the... I'll always be influenced by stuff I've seen, mm. obviously, so even subconsciously yeah. I read <laughs> Plus, in terms of the episodes, there's an episode of Step Turn somewhere they're playing chess with, mm. with different yeah. pieces, which, yeah. you know, you see in that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, yes, that's a nick. Yeah. But they didn't have such a spectacular fight sequence after it. No. no. <laughs> that's that's the biggest difference, I think. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, what a different Step Turn Son would have been. If it, yeah. Because yeah. being an have, old man. It did have funnier. violence. <laughs> yeah. There was a yeah. lot of violence between... Steptoe and Son, but yeah. not quite in the not same quite, way that Rick and Aid brought no. to Richie and Eddie. They went a step further. You're right. Not quite sort of ripping. They had a skeleton in their set. I always remember that, Steptoe mm. and Son. Mm. So, well, that would be an obvious prop, wouldn't it? Mm. Beating somebody to death with a femur. <laughs> <laughs> so what did the BBC think of the show while it was being recorded, before it went out, was the internal feeling behind it? Well, the internal feeling behind it was, and Alan Yantov said this <laughs> to me, get on and do it. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> if it goes well, fine. If it doesn't, it's all your fault. And I went, perfect. <laughs> I'm left alone to do this okay. with Rick and Aid, and we'll make our show and do it the way we want to do it. And so nobody interfered. Uh, after we'd shot it and the executives had to review it, they wanted to make lots of cuts and lots of changes because um, they said it was too filthy. And we did have to make some, some, a few nips and tucks. It's sort of things like reactions. There's an episode where Helen Lederer plays... Um, In Natasha? Yeah. Mm. And uh, Rick has a premature ejaculation. <laughs> and it was pretty obvious <laughs> when yes, we it's shot cut, it. kind of cut around that. It's just we had to, to cut it down, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and uh, what I heard was that they said, oh, we were sending somebody in to cut out all the stuff. I said, no, no, you're not. No, I'm yeah. coming, I'm coming. And I battled and fought, you know, to keep mm. what we could, but without losing the, you know, the jokes <laughs> or the funniness of it. But, yeah, there were one or two times we had to do some judicious cutting around okay. to get... Uh, to, to get it past the sensor. Yeah. Did they ever injure themselves at any time? Yes, once. Very, they're very good. They're very, very good at choreographing it and making it look so close and getting really close. There was once when Aid was doing a backhanded uh, punch. So, in other words, coming up beneath Rick's jaw and 
going over his head, and he smacked his hand into a uh, a beam that was mm-hmm. above his head, and his hand raised up, a huge welt red. Oh, <laughs> shit, he's broken his arm, broken his hand. But it, it he just bruised it really badly, sure. and that got better. And then there's other times he's dragged across the floor, and we had a trolley that he lay on, so that he was. When his legs broken. Uh, no, this is aid. Okay. He's been dragged oh, towards being pulled. Yeah. He's, he's got a rope around his yeah, leg. Exactly. Uh, upstairs. Yes. And there was a trolley underneath him, and the trolley had padding on it, with the padding curling him off. <laughs> so the metal of okay. the of the so he had great you oh. know welts up his back. Yeah. But uh, generally speaking, they were pretty good, and. The special effects guys are very good. So if you know, Rick is bashing down the stairs or crashing through a door or <laughs> you know smacking things over each other's heads, we make sure that those props worked really well yeah. and were safe. Was it, it was nearly always them doing it, wasn't it? Mm. Would they Stunning. occasionally use a stunt guy for things like coming down through a conservatory roof or, or the crashing down of the piano? Or was that always them? As far as my, I remember, it was always them. Wow. I don't think we use any stuntmen. I think there's one the stuntman. stuntman. There's one really? credit for the stuntman on the, on the burger episode. I think is there where aid crashes through the conservatory is what we've always thought it it is. Could be, mm. could be the there's or one it could be that we strapped him to the ceiling rather mm. than the actor. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, the reality of that was that nowadays I wouldn't dream of doing that. You know, you'd lay somebody on the floor. <laughs> And then cover them in sellotape and then electronically put them into yeah. the ceiling. But on that one, we thought, oh, we'll just do it for real. Yeah. So there was a rig above the ceiling <laughs> which held him up there. Obviously, the sellotape didn't do it, folks. Sorry. Oh, I, I <laughs> thought he was just ab- putting his head through and it's a fake body. He was actually... Mm, I think mm. that's right. Oh, wow. And was, was strapped <laughs> to the roof. Yeah, you're right. It could have been a stuntman for that. You're right, you're right. There's one that you, you made me think of an injury I think I spotted in the... Uh, episode smells when they're buying the condoms mm. and Eddie whacks the condom machine. You see the machine dent mm. and then he holds his hand back. Uh, it, he plays it like that's really happened. I don't know. Do you remember if that yeah, was Yeah, he really did punch it and I think he heard his hand. That was a genuine... Yeah. Yeah. He just yeah. keeps going. Well, yeah, it's it's in character, isn't it? It just yeah. seemed to me like that dent wasn't a big enough dent to be a gag. It looked mm. really real. Yeah, he probably yeah. overheated. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So on the subject of Paul Bradley, um, well, mm. you've had a lot of Red Dwarf character uh, actors mm. come onto Bottom. You've had Robert Llewellyn, uh, Mark Williams, Paul Bradley, mm. Lee Corns. Mm. Uh, were you responsible for the crossover in casting at all? Did you suggest sort actors of, ever? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys, well, Robert Llewellyn obviously from Red Dwarf, but Lee Corns was also in the young ones mm. and he also did the warm up on the young ones he was brilliant actually so um, he was a natural choice yeah. and it's the casting was normally people we cast it I mean Rick and Aid and myself cast all of Bottom we didn't use a casting agent it would normally be people we've all worked with either from the young ones or and also Red Dwarf and Paul Bradley was known to all of us you know it's kind of like people we know mm. sure. yeah was there any plans that never came to fruition about putting Nigel Planner in an episode ever? No, I don't think so. I don't remember that. No. I'll cut that question. Not, <laughs> not that <laughs> I know of. Yeah, sorry, that was a really dull answer. No, I stayed the same thing and he didn't <laughs> yeah, remember. Yeah, we, we assumed Spud Gunn yeah. was me- meant to be played by Nigel Planner, but no. 
Yeah, that that's often a sort of that yeah. seems, seems to be a natural assumption by people that the, yeah. that the intention was to have all four of them at some point. Yeah. Could have been, never came to fruition yeah. though. Mm-hmm. Did you find by the time you came to series two, uh, it felt like the series sort of hit its stride? Were there any differences once you went into series two, or was it very much were you kind of sort of you know well-oiled machine having done series yeah, one? Yeah, it was a continuation of the same really. I mean, we thought the first series was pretty good. Mm. Obviously, you improve on little bits and pieces, and we did have a discussion about what other effects we could do mm. what other things we could we could inject into the series and by that stage of course bottom had started to become quite popular mm. so the attitude of the executives changed slightly they still left us alone to get on with it um, but Did I do remember meeting Alan Yant. I'm sorry, keep talking about Alan Yant again, and he came up to me and went, "How we got away with episode <laughs> three? I don't know." I went, "We? <laughs> Who's we?" Did the executives leave you alone more in the second series then, and, and just trust you to get on with it, or did they still want to look at it in terms of censoring it? Um, they did exactly the same. So they just let me alone to shoot it all and put it all together, and then they looked at it and said, "We want to cut this and that." Right. And it was exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you consider now the constraints on shooting with the enthusiastic, um, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, (laughs) with the enthusiastic help of producers uh, as you're shooting it uh, and in preparation, in Mm. pre-production and in post-production, it was a remarkable um, time where we were left alone to do it ourselves. Mm. You you directed series one to four of Red Dwarf. Mm. Uh, we were wondering if the reason you didn't then do series five and six is because by this point bottom was coinciding with it and it was a, a sort of scheduling conflict. It was a scheduling conflict, but weirdly it wasn't bottom. It was Ruby's show. Okay. Oh. Ruby asked me to direct her show, The Full Wax, with BBC One, hmm. big studio show. Yep. And Red Dwarf hadn't got its commission. It kept There was a problem with it bouncing back and forth between BBC Manchester and various other things. And so... In the end, Ruby pressurised me to say yes, <laughs> and then literally a week later, they said we got the commission. I'm right. like, shit, I can't say no to Ruby. <laughs> you yeah. can't say no that to, the, be, to the wife. Yes, I think, <laughs> yes, that, that, that would be a sort of testicles on the lamppost <laughs> kind of decision. <laughs> so I had to pass on five and six, it's right. purely because scheduling, and bottom fitted. Right. Mm. In those days, I sort of would really be able to shoot two series a year. You mm. can't do that now, but in those days you could. So it meant you could squeeze in bottom then. The fact How that dare you? You. <laughs> <laughs> you could squeeze in ruby and bottom. Yeah? Yes, I could squeeze Good. in ruby and bottom. <laughs> um, could be the name of my book. <laughs> and then when, so the third series of Bottom came around, I think shot in 94 and broadcast in 95. Mm. Was, were you offered that or were you, uh, you know, was that something that was punted your way or, you know, uh, were, you, were you already busy? No, uh, you get quite a bit of warning as a producer and a director. So if the scripts have been commissioned, they then have to write the scripts, which takes months. Mm. So you know by then that that's the time scale you've got. So you yeah. try and make yourself available. Um, it was just, I mean, those are the good old days. It was just a given I was doing it and they wanted me to do it, so I did it. Yeah. There wasn't any sort of like going for interviews or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, mm. but by the third series, so obviously you, uh, that was directed by Bob Spears. Yeah, the third series was a scheduling cock-up Yeah, on my part. I said yes to a film series called The Detectives, oh. and it clashed, Right, and I couldn't get out of it. Yeah, It was a shame. If you'd been free, you'd have done it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. What did you uh, did you see series three when it went out? I assume. Yes, I, assume, I did. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I have to say, Bob Spears is a, was a genius director. You look at some of the stuff he did with Francis Saunders, um, those film parodies he shot. Yeah. Uh, he was really, really good. He's, and, of course, he did Faulty Towers. Mm. He's the sort of guy I'd look up to and go, you know, I want to be like him. So if you were going to hand it over to anyone, it would be him? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think it was Rick and A's decision to get him in. Yeah. Because I couldn't do it. Um, were you aware of the fourth series having been written and then subsequently not commissioned by the BBC at the time? The, I'm, no, no, I'm not aware of a fourth series at that time. Oh. But the, a few years ago, there was a, a desire to, to do another one. Okay. But, it, but it didn't make it. So as far as we understood it, perhaps just several episodes had been written and then were repurposed for the live shows. Um, oh, that's possibly true. I wasn't across the politics of that, so I wouldn't mm, know. Okay. Being an humble director, <laughs> that's possibly true. I think the so when it was when the fourth series was, was commissioned, it was looking like it was going to be Hooligans Island. That then, yeah. that, so I think that's what then became mm. the third I live show. I think you're right. I think we were going to make Hooligans Island, and then um, literally, I mean, I say literally, I would say about three or four years ago, we were going to do another one, another series called Hooligans Island on for TV, mm. but. There was all sorts of machinations about budget by the stage and things. Mm. And the, what had been written was extraordinary. There was, uh, they were on the island and there's a hurricane. So everything is sideways, mm. you know, because of the wind. Mm -hmm. Right. So the way we would shoot it is to turn them up, turn them sideways and make everything <laughs> fall through the frame so it right. looks like it's going sideways. <laughs> it was going to be a monster. I looked at it and I thought, Christ, how are we going to shoot this? Um, but then sadly it, it, it didn't come to fruition, and then I tried with John Plowman, who's very good, possibly the best producer in the world, uh, after Paul Jackson. We tried to see if we could turn it into a special, which mm. would have been great, but the BBC didn't want it mm. as a special. I see. They're going to be an old folks' home uh, idea as well. I've heard that in an interview, basically with Eddie in a retirement <laughs> home. I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, that would have been funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would have been. Hitting Wheelchairs yeah. comes yeah. to mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cliffs. They said <laughs> hitting each other with colostomy bags. Yes, yeah. yes. And jousting in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. But of course, you directed Hooligans Island, the third bottom live. Was it different directing Rick and Aid for the stage in, as opposed well, to in the uh, yeah, studio? I have to be uh, honest here. What happened with that mm. was that the stage shows were directed by themselves. They mm. directed them in terms of the action and everything else. Mm. I'm not really a stage director anyway. Mm. Uh, so what I did is I filmed it. So once the show was up and running, I think we did Bristol, I'd come in and I'd shoot a couple of um, episodes mm. and then cut them together. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, I kind of judiciously didn't cut anything out of them. They were as they ran. I see. Um, but one of the things we did want to do, and I discussed this with Aidan and Rick, was that we wanted it to be obviously a live show, but we we wanted it to look as much as we possibly could like a sitcom. Mm. So there's no cutaways of audience or big fat wide shots except at the very beginning or end, and just keep it all on the stage and keep it all in bottom land. Mm. Mm. Was it stitched together um, a couple of different nights performances? Yeah, then? a couple of different performances. Yeah, I shot two, uh, and with the live shows, if I'm shooting live shows like that, I always try and shoot two episodes, uh, two. Because it gives you, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a second take. I can't stop yeah. play halfway <laughs> through and go, stop, <laughs> and you go back. You didn't hit him hard enough. It would be quite funny. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, yes, that would be weird. So what I would do is I would shoot the first one and I'd look at it and go, that bit needs to be, we need to get, we haven't got that, so we need that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you do it that way. Mm. And then say to Rick and Aid, I've got a problem in between this show and that show. I didn't quite mm. get the shot. Can you angle yourself around a bit more? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. And you may not be able to answer this then, but fans often argue about whether or not the fluffs in Bottom Live were... Mm purposefully written in or whether they happened genuinely and then they were repeated on subsequent nights because of the big laughs that they got. Do you know whether they were written in specifically in a calculated way? I don't know, but I can guess. (laughs) (laughs) It was very rare in those days for Rick ever to forget a line. Mm. But the audience love it. Yeah, it was funny, actually. When I was shooting, I think it was Hooligans Island when they did that, I was shooting it and I was listening to a guy while we were waiting to do the second show and he went, it's amazing, they, it, keep, I've seen this show before and they forgot their lines at exactly <laughs> the same place. <laughs> yes, I've, I've always believed they were written in yeah. for the laugh. Audiences yeah. like that feeling of something unique happening mm. just on just their night, don't they? Sure, you know? they were special mm. for yeah. that time. You know, mm. just Breaking script <laughs> and having fun yeah. on the stage, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the magic, isn't it? Yeah. So have, sure. you, have you caught yourself being influenced by Bottom in other pieces of work you've done? Have you felt like you've done something like, oh, this is a little bit like, like Bottom? Yeah, for, um, for sure. With studio sitcoms, if there's anything, like some of the green screen stuff we played around with, and, and also if anyone's having a fight and somebody's, oh, we need a stuntman, I go, no, 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 hang on, I'll show <laughs> you how to do this. Mm. You know, punt, aim for there and I'll put the camera here. And um, so violent stuff. Okay. Comedy violence is yeah. my favourite. Yeah. Uh, so I carry that over as much as I can. And yeah, you pick up skills all the way through mm-hmm. about various things, about how to shoot stuff and how to create the effect and the illusion. So another IMDb credit of yours is the behind-the-scenes stuff for Gaffer's House Paradiso. Yes. So what story there? Were you off the, the film and didn't do it? No, it was, an, it, it was an it? interesting story that happened there, is that Guest House Paradiso they wrote together, and Adrian wanted, decided he, he was going to direct it, which was fine. Obviously, you know, it's mm-hmm. his film. <laughs> I'd have loved to have directed it, but obviously, you know, that's the decision they wanted to do, and that was absolutely fine. But ironically, he was also up for another film which he couldn't do because he was directing Bottom. Mm-hmm. And he suggested me to Harry Enfield, and ah. that was um, Kevin, Kevin Perry. and Perry Go Large. Yeah. The background, she, yes, behind the scenes. I've seen some of these behind the scenes things, and I thought they were sort of not very good. Uh, we had no money, but what I did do is I got a load of film students, and we got GoPros, or the equivalent of okay and put them on sticks and held them up over the top of sets so yeah. we could shoot from above <laughs> what was going on. I got a lot of good footage on that, and the interviews were great. And once we put it together, I was, I was quite pleased with that. I just thought, you know, for the limited resources we had, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. There's some really talented young guys working on mm. that, one of whom now does all the special effects for things like Harry Potter and uh, shows like that. He's done very well. Blast his eyes. uh, what's your sort of order of preference in terms of films versus studio work and so forth are films a nice sort of is it a nice change from it they're different beats and I can do both because if you shoot a sitcom normally bottom's an exception but normally you'd have some outside 
stuff, yep. which is then shot and played in to the audience. So I can kind of do both. Uh, and unfortunately, sitcoms are going through what one would call a low point at the moment. Yep. There's not many being made. Yeah. There's things like not going out and stuff that's still going. But generally speaking, sitcoms are narrative comedy. Live audience shows are suffering a bit. Mm. So I've sort of found myself doing more single camera work. In fact, I'm doing one this year with Johnny Vegas. They're completely different disciplines. Yeah. Um, I enjoy doing both. Some have high points, some have low points. The great thing about shooting in front of an audience, it happens as you see it, as mm. you do it. If you're shooting single camera, you're always out of order, it's out of sequence, you know, you're not certain it's all yeah. going to work yeah. until it's all put together. Whereas with a sitcom, it's like, as a lighting director once described it, he said, you rehearse and you, get, you try and get everything right, absolutely everything right, then the audience come in, it's 7.30 and you fall off a cliff. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how, and that's very exciting, much more theatrical yeah. event. But it's, it's, they're equally good and they're equally difficult, but for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any episodes at Bottom that were pitched to you that never happened? Any scripts that you heard about that ended up being dropped, you know, the, the, you know imaginary episodes or missing episodes? Not that I can remember. I think that they decided what they were going to do and just wrote them. I'm sure there's discarded ideas, but I didn't see them. Or if I did, I've forgotten. Sorry. So, have you seen much of Rick and Aid's work after after you worked with them? Oh, yeah. If he's a yeah, yeah, consistent yeah. fan. Absolutely. I saw Aid recently. It was just before the Star Wars he was in, but he wasn't allowed to tell me he was in Star Wars. <laughs> So he said, you have to guess what I'm in. Ah. And I went, why can't you tell me? He said, no. I said, well, it's either Marvel or Star Wars. <laughs> uh, he'd been shooting um, some Russian classic series. What was it called? War and Peace, wasn't War it? War and Peace, that's the one. The not very well-known War and Peace. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he'd been shooting that. And I said, how's it going? He went, oh, I had a great week last week. I said, oh, right, what were you doing? He said, well, I was mainly dead. <laughs> oh, good. And uh, I said, how did that work? He said, well, my character dies, and then I'm at, there's a funeral, and I'm in this glass thing, and I lie there, <laughs> and I lay there for about a week. I went, bloody hell. I said, couldn't you go and somebody else do that? You know, you could have made a dummy or something. He went, no, mate, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Just lying there doing nothing for a week. <laughs> the reason he got that gig, apparently, is because uh, Ryan Johnson was a big, huge bottom fan when he was younger. Have you met good. any famous weird uh, people who are fans of Bottom that you wouldn't have thought would be? Yes, a policeman. Uh-huh. <laughs> he said, oh, I love Bottom. Yeah. And uh, hit him, Jenkins. Yeah. Were, you uh, being, were you being arrested at the time? How, how, uh, <laughs> no, well, um, I was... Well, no, not quite, but nearly. Uh, famous people. Ooh, that's hard. P- probably. It's just that, um, you know, when you work with people you sometimes don't really get the opportunity to talk too much about anything else except what you're doing, you know. I think with making TV, it's very intensive Mm -hmm. and you just have to really focus on what you're doing. And by the time it's finished and everyone's in a green room or somewhere swigging cheap white red wine, they're reminiscing about what you've just done, not what you did (laughs) in the past. So I'm absolutely certain the Queen's a fan. I just haven't asked her. <laughs> <laughs> and Matty's veg. Yeah. Of course, you directed Girls on Top 
1985 to 1986. Yes. Um, yeah. That's where you met your then wife to be, Ruby Wax. Correct. Um, you worked alongside French and Saunders, Tracy yeah. Ullman, Joan yeah. Greenwood. Yes. You've commented in the past that you were quite intimidated by being surrounded by those strong women at the time. Yeah. And I believe you thought Ruby didn't actually like you at first. No, I don't think she did. I hadn't, I mean, I wasn't a particularly experienced director at that stage of the game. And um, she thought I was rubbish. So she um, tried to get me fired. Uh, But I hang on in there. Yeah, you're right. It was that cast that you just mentioned and also the stage manager, who's also a girl. But Ruby was possibly the most fractious because I worked with Dawn and Jennifer before, obviously with the young ones and stuff like that. So they kind of um, were more relaxed about it. And then as the... As rehearsals continued, so it was always outside rehearsals for sitcoms. You always rehearse outside, and then you go into the studio. And as outside rehearsals changed, then Ruby changed, not just um, in attitude, but also physically. (laughs) So she would turn up in her pyjamas to start with, and then sort of as the weeks progressed, things would change, like the size of her breasts. (laughs) Uh, And in fact, Dawn French got hold of some falsies that Ruby was wearing to look more alluring (laughs) and was waving them about in the rehearsal room. (laughs) Ruby was so horrified that she grabbed them and then buried them in a communal garden just (laughs) next door to rehearsal rooms. As far as I know, they're still there. But I thought one day it'd be good on an anniversary or something, we'd go down there and dig them up (laughs) and parade down the street, you know, like the end of a Frankenstein film with burning things and all shouting, it's the boobs. Brilliant. And of course, you and Ruby are now one of comedy's power couples. I mean, did you... Power couple. I like that. Did you guys ever socialise with obviously Aid and Jennifer? Yeah, no, I mean, Jennifer and and Aid are are really good friends. We see them a lot. Yeah. And of course, I work with Jennifer quite a lot anyway. I've just done a comic relief thing with her, mm. uh, the piss take from Mamma Mia 2. Oh, brilliant. And we did another piss take 10 years ago, Mamma Mia 1, so <laughs> if they make another one, then we'll do that again. Mm. Uh, so we do see each other, and um, Adrian and I see each other, yeah, for sure. So they're sort of enduring friendships after you work with them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, mu- that must have started, I suppose, going all the way back to the young ones. Uh, yes, back to the young ones, yeah. yeah. To a lot of people, that's a very big moment in comedy does the scale of that sort of uh, occur to you or is it something do you find yourself sort of slightly bemused or detached from it because you're within it if that makes sense yeah i see what you're saying you mean about the young ones yeah, mm-hmm. but the young ones but also you know alternative comedy moving yeah. forwards yeah no no i could see it was a huge difference um when i read the young one scripts i thought this is the best thing i've ever read yeah and i've read a lot of scripts by then Mm. and worked on a lot of comedy shows. Mm. I thought, this is the new revolution, yeah. and I wanted to be part of it. No, no, I was, I was aware that it was going, you know, as a piece of written material, yeah. I thought, this is revolutionary. Whether it would make it yeah. to the degrees that I hoped it would, yeah. um, I didn't know, but it did. There's a sort of collection of names of people in front of camera that mm. people are very aware of, but I think there's a... There's a collection of names of people behind the camera of which you are one uh, mm. as well as Paul Jackson mm. and um, Peter Rag and other people mm. who mm. we often see in in the credits at the ends of the shows that we consider to be our favourite comedies mm. Um, mm. And I think it's it's interesting that there's a very unique collection of creatives behind mm. these things yeah and I mean I think the reason for that is is that um, you, you tend to work with the people you you like and you know the BBC used to allocate people without consulting it was before something called producer's choice so you were just given people but we would do all sorts of devious things to get the people we like on board 
So if it's special effects heavy, you would always go for Peter Rag. Right. We would because we worked with him before and he understands us and he understands yeah. what we want. And also he knows what's funny. So we go, this explosion's got to be funny. He'll make it funny. Yeah. It's a hard thing to tell yeah. somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, you tend to gravitate and work with your favourite crew and yeah. your favourite people. Is there, any, is there anything on now, uh, or that's being made now, that you particularly enjoy or that you, when you look at it you feel that kind of has some of the essence of, of what, uh, you know, Rick and Aid had and what, and mm. what you've made in the past, anything that... I mean, there's degrees of stuff in everything, really. Mm. Um, I'm going to self-promote now. Stand by. <laughs> so later this year, I'm doing a film uh, for TV with uh, Johnny Vegas called... Um, and it's a, it's a lampoon of um, uh, Agatha Christie um, called Dial M for Murder, but mm. our version is called Dial M for Middlesbrough. <laughs> and well, I've done one before called Death on the Tyne, yep. which was to be death on the Nile it has elements of it because people get murdered but what we wanted to do is try and make the murders as ridiculous as possible mm-hmm. so people get harpooned or um, they get beaten to death with a bottle of scent you know <laughs> sort of weird stuff yeah and it's the experience you gain over the years mm. where you kind of go yeah let's make this really funny yeah make it ridiculously violent <laughs> That sort of thing is happening. Vic and Bob made a great sitcom, which was very similar. Catherick? In, yeah. yeah. Uh, to the elements of, um, mm. of Bottom, I think. Peep Show as well. Peep Show. I mean, there's bits and pieces, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Everyone's influenced by everybody else, yeah. but everybody wants to be unique. Nobody wants to make a copy of something, and there'd mm. be no value in that anyway. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think Robert yeah. Webb said that The Young Ones was a huge mm. influence on him yeah. as a performer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure. And, of course, British comedy suffered an insurmountable loss when we lost Rick Mail yes. five years ago. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you found out about Rick's death and how it's affected you these last five years. Well, it was bizarre. Um, Rick and I had, had, had actually quite a few meetings about trying to work out some projects together. And, in fact... He did a thing for me for Channel 4, um, which was called, bizarrely, Don't Fear Death. Mm. Um, and he did the voiceover, and it was really funny. Mm. I don't think it ever saw the light of day. I was on a bicycling trip. Get this. A mm. bicycling trip in Italy, I think. And I'd heard um, that a great friend of mine who was a brilliant sound mixer who used to work at the farm... Mm. Uh, called Stuart had died suddenly so I thought oh that's horrifying Mm. and he was a great friend and then I got to the airport to come home and then found out Rick had died as well so Mm. I thought blimey this just keeps going Mm. I won't have any friends left Mm. so it's very shocking and uh, I got back home I met up with Harry Enfield and I helped him to write a uh, uh, you know a piece about Rick Uh, yeah, and it was very, very shocking. Um, I went to the funeral, and it was incredibly sad. Mm. And then uh, afterwards we went. He was buried in his country house. They got permission to bury him at home. And people made speeches, Ben Elton uh, principally, amongst others. Uh, yeah, it was really moving and very mm. sad. Mm. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. We obviously 
Bottom's our favourite sitcom, and right. since we lost Rick, we just want to keep the memory of the yeah, show the and him alive. Yeah. yeah, it's quite amazing the amount of outpouring of Bottom um, love mm. when when he died. The, mm. There was loads of people seemed to like coming out of the woodwork mm. as huge fans of it. Because I always thought of it as a bit more of a cult thing, mm. but it turns out there's so much love yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think what it is is. The days that we made Bottom, there was BBC One, BBC Two, ITV and Channel Four. That's kind of it, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And so your viewing choices were limited, but you knew what you wanted to watch. And so it wasn't a question of sort of desperately tuning in to watch. Sometimes it's just on yeah. and you watch it, you know. And it becomes part of the fabric of your background with, without becoming a manic fan but it becomes part of the fabric of who you are. Mm. And then when he died, it suddenly dawned on people that this was part of their heritage mm. that, they, that had shaped their lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I do meet lots of people. Like if I go to a wedding, for instance, for somebody of the generation beneath me, if they found out that I've mm-hmm. directed Bottom, mm-hmm. they ply me with drinks until I'm insensible <laughs> because it's all part of their fabric. Back sure. their when, when people yeah. find out that you directed it, what tends to be the most common thing they ask or say at that point? Fucking hell. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, they, they, they look and go, you, Ed, you did it. You, you did. I mean, yeah, yeah, you did Bottom, yeah. And Red Dwarf, you. <laughs> and then when they found out also about um, uh, Kevin and Perry, they get mm. the same reaction. Yeah. You did that? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, some fans might say that it was your input on Bottom and Red Dwarf and all the shows from our childhood that we loved that added that bit of extra magic. Oh, what, I'd love to say What would you say that. to that theory? <laughs> Absolutely right. No, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I think that being in simpatico with the artists is good. So mm. I understand what they want and give them what they want and, yeah. and sometimes, hopefully, add a bit mm. to make it even better. That's, but I can't take any more credit than that. You don't consider yourself a sort of fifth beetle to the comic strip gang then from no, behind the scenes? No, I'm, uh, I'm merely an interface between the script and what appears on the screen. <laughs> uh, now, I like to think that I can help steer it, and, but you know, the credit goes to the people who write the scripts mm. and the, the people who perform them. And, um, and the skilled people who put it together. Absolutely. And I sort of steer it. And I hopefully, yeah, occasionally I'll come up with something that will enhance it or make it better mm. or come up with an idea that works. But I couldn't really say that I'm a sort of guru creator or anything like that. You were, a, you were part of the machine. Yes. Oh. Admittedly, quite a big slick, yeah. Yeah. Like slick the oils. Button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, l- a large cog, not a small Without one. Without you, it <laughs> wouldn't have happened. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously, you've got a really good eye for talent. Mm. Though. I mean, you seem to pick really good yes. projects, it seems. Yeah, and I'm, yes, I think that's true. I mean, y- you learn a lot as the years go, o- go on. And so you can spot something quite quickly in a script when you go, oh, yeah, this is good. This has got potential. I like the way it's written. I like the, the timbre of it. I like the jokes. I like the way that the the humour works with the narrative and it doesn't wander off into another county and then come back. Mm. There's lots of things you can spot and see. And then when you talk to people, their enthusiasm is massive and also who they are, whether they perform mm. live, whether you you know you think that they're a good performer and what they can do. Mm. Is there yeah. anything that you wore off and didn't do that you regret, that you passed on, that you wish you had done? No, I've been pretty lucky in that respect. 
I mean, there's lots of things I would have loved to have done that were done by other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shaun of the Dead, that was me. That was my thing. <laughs> um, and stuff like that. No, the only thing I haven't done, and I'd like to address, and maybe I will next year, is I'd love to make a horror comedy, or mm-hmm. a comedy horror, mm-hmm. whichever way around that word is. Um, and there's a script in development as we speak, and I'd love to do that. Because <coughs> I've Can always you say loved. that's written by? Yeah, be um, Susan Nixon and Tim Dawson. Yeah, and the two of them are very talented writers, and so um, we're coming up with a script idea, which I hopefully will shoot next year. Fantastic! I and mean, there's lots of buzz recently around a lot of new sort of comedy by female writers, mm-hmm. such as Fleabag, well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is incredible. Yeah, but I think it's wonderful. But do you think that some people are perhaps forgetting the spotlight that was sort of thrown on the 1980s Ruby, French and Saunders all those ladies that laid the groundwork back then, it's not like it's just suddenly mm. female acts that are being hilarious I mean, No, I think that it's true, it's not Yeah, I don't think suddenly female actors uh, acts are mm. being um, uh, are, are suddenly appearing, they've been there for a long time, mm. I mean French and Saunders I did a thing with them called 300 Years of French and Saunders in 2017, the end of and it went out in 2018, so they're still mm. kind of around, not that long Absolutely, ago, you know. Yeah. I, it, I, just, I think it sort of harks to what I said earlier, is that you these people become part of the fabric of your lives mm. and they just, you just absorb them. I, I don't think you forget them. Mm. I think it's wonderful that there's, there's yeah. a new sort of... Oh, no, I, I think really, they're brilliant. Yeah, is everyone who's up and coming. Who are yeah. your favourite sort of female acts or, or any acts really around at the moment? Um, well, I'd have to say currently on tour, Ruby Wax. Mm. Uh, she is one. on tour this year, isn't she? Yeah. All the way through to November. You're right. She Siblings is. are quite good. Have you seen them? Siblings <laughs> are very good. Yes, yes, they're great. That's it. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Keep it in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Siblings are superb. Maddie oh. and Marina, you no, must be I'm very in. proud. I am. Have you seen them? I have. Yeah, I've, I've seen them. I've, I know Maddie, actually. Oh, excellent. I've met her a few times, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, they did a, they did a show the other day where they did... Um, 10 minute slice and they've developed two new characters and they're called um, Judy and Gabe <laughs> and these two characters are basically obnoxious Chicago uh, middle aged women and I know exactly where they got the material from <laughs> <laughs> Ruby took them on holiday to Chicago uh-huh. to visit her cousin Judy uh-huh. and when the two of them are sitting in the front seat Ruby and Judy and going that's the best place for bagels now I'm telling you where the best place you don't know where a bagel if it hits you in the face look at that stop no don't keep moving stop and the kids are at the back writing this all down and Judy and Gabe and now appear Judy they obviously changed Ruby's name to Gabe for uh, legal and political reasons but uh, it's very funny characters they've got that same eye for yeah, like spotting yeah. where where comedy lies in everyday life. Would yeah. you would you ever like to work with them? Would you ever like to direct them? Oh, you mean in a TV show or yeah. something? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They, they came to you and said, "Dad, we got a commission." Well, actually, funny enough, if you go onto YouTube, <laughs> there is something called uh, Schoolgirls, yeah. sibling Schoolgirls, mm. and I directed that for them, uh, and it's pretty good. It was their early days, so they played two Notting Hill girlies yeah you know easy to easier mm. to take stuff from real life um but they lampooned it quite well right <laughs> have a look fantastic folks. and are there any other projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to 
plug. I'd like to plug. Mm. No, just the uh, I heavily plugged Dial M for Middlesbrough. Um, and I've plugged the potential <laughs> horror film for next year. Has comedy that got horror a title next yet? Year. Hmm? Has that got a title yet, the comedy horror? Uh, Xbox. Okay. Probably won't be able to use that, as yeah. an EX, mm-hmm. as opposed to an sure. X. And I just wanted to relate to, uh, to earlier, when you are at Kingston College, did your friend mm. who was a part-time drug dealer mm. go on to become a full-time drug dealer? No, he, came, he went on, get this, he went on to become a policeman. Well, okay. <laughs> is he the pr- policeman that's a fan of Bottom? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> he is. Well, one of them, yeah. No, yeah. I know he is, yeah. But there was a different policeman. This policeman was the one who nearly arrested me. Does he take credit? Does he know how much influence he's had on the comedy industry not really but i will i'll i'll give him a, a mention in my memoir yeah. <laughs> so th- this isn't a question this is just uh, as uh, i wonder if you've heard this before any other stupid children like me when i was nine years old first mm. time watching bottom the end credits where mm. eddie waves his hands mm. and then your name comes up ed by i thought it was like saying goodbye mixed with eddie ed by <laughs> Has Lovely. anyone ever thought that before? Or is it just me being you know weirdo? how people, you know, sort of uh, analyse Shakespeare and say yeah. this is definitely because <laughs> there's. Uh, yeah. um, the reality of that was he kicks Rick in the bollocks, mm-hmm. he flies out of the crew, and he takes a bow. Yeah, basically, it does jazz hands. Yeah, right? uh, jazz hands. Yeah. and um, any egotistical director like me would clearly take that opportunity to slap their name okay. across it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a short frame. name, so it fits all right. Sure. It's quite cheap. Was there ever a choice to have Richie and Eddie in any other clothes other than the classic outfits that they had? No, and funny enough, it was it was quite uh, tricky. There's quite a few things in Bottom that we wanted to keep. There's a, a table with a sort of Venetian picture on it made out of bent wire mm-hmm. and we've had that in outside rehearsals outside rehearsal we go one table you know so that you could rehearse around mm-hmm. it not the real thing we liked it so much we took it from rehearsal rooms but it was the only one right nobody could find another <laughs> and it's the same thing with the clothes you know we'd had to repair eddie's shoes because mm-hmm. you just couldn't find a pair of shoes yeah. like that anymore yeah. and the suits and the clothes you know we we had to carefully look after them, and there was no no there was never any intention to wear anything different to mm. what they did. I think it worked so well. Of mm-hmm. course, the yeah. set was dismantled entirely between series two and series three. Absolutely, we had to rebuild it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Did but you have any hand in in that, or was that no, um, no longer your to, concern? I tended to walk onto the set and go more shit, <laughs> make it more disgusting, mm. make it, yeah, and. No, uh, the set design is a sort of collusion between the designer and the director because mm. I've got to shoot it, you know, so mm. I need the actors to be able to move around. I need to mm. get the cameras to shoot mm. it. And good designers know that, but you still have that kind of discussion. Yeah. I like long, deep shots. Mm. Quite often there's an outtake of Rick having to pick up a telephone he's in the wrong place. <laughs> but I wanted him right close to the camera mm. and Eddie way back and you see the whole flat. I love deep shots like that. Yeah. Do you think now, just thinking about the gas episode, Rick runs towards the kitchen and then gets a gas explosion in the face yeah. and he's in the same shot as it. And I, and, I, and in the young ones featured Rick mm. having the cooker explode next yeah. to him. Would the BBC allow that now or was that something of its time, do you think? I think they would allow it now, but it would have to be much more controlled. Right. And certainly any explosions in front of an audience is out. Yeah. You can't have a naked flame in front of an audience. Now. Really? Yeah. The short answer to your question is no. Okay. It, it probably wouldn't. An explosion that vicious, Yeah. I'd have had to have shot, these days I'd have to shoot separately and then put him in separately and get him to react and then mix the two together, yeah. which would be perfectly good. 
But there's something really organic about that explosion. Something for, there's something for the performer as well to feel the heat on their face and, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, the searing pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to actually suffer third degree burns. Yeah. 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 And are there any fluffs that you remember fondly, like actually filming it, or were you frustrated when they no, kept corpsing? No, no, whenever they made or... a mistake, it was fine by me. It's always funny. But they very rarely did. Mm. And the one that I remember most, because Rick very, very rarely got his lines wrong. I mean, really, very few times. And and if he did, it was something else that had happened, like the camera crashed into something or, you know, something had gone mm. wrong. But there was an episode where he has to drink <laughs> uh, hedgehog's urine. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And there's a moment where he thinks that one of a pubic hair has got stuck in his teeth. Mm. And he drinks the thing. And then he just corpsed. It's the only time I've ever seen him corpse. And as he corpsed, he banged the... I think he was in a wheelchair with a broken yeah. leg at the time. He banged the wheelchair going, bugger, bugger. You know, he was really annoyed that it, he, uh, he it corpsed. got to him. Yeah. yeah. I think that was included in the bottom fluff video, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, is it? Yeah. It's there, is it? Yeah. All right. Do you have an v- absolute favourite episode overall? I mean, you know, funnily enough, I think it's the first one, Bottom Smells, the first transmitted one, mm-hmm. because it really was huge sense of relief that we'd done this mm. and got it right and it was funny mm. and then everything after that was sort of that was like this big beacon of starting point mm. so we go if we can make it as good as that then it will, it will be great and the one i guess the slightly unusual one was wimbledon common i particularly like the fights and the ridiculous dark blowing sequences and things like that. Yeah, the trio of dark heads. Very good. Yeah. And of course, that episode was delayed for transmission. Yes, because of, uh, uh, yes, because of Wimbledon Common Murders, Mm -hmm. not far from where we are. Mm. In fact, one of you could be a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) I think all three of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A bunch of murderers. Mm. The only other thing I wanted to say was, if if you've got time, Mm. is the story of the titles. So the opening titles, I didn't have an idea what we were going to do. Rick and Aid had just written titles. So I needed to sort of think (laughs) what we were going to do. And I couldn't think... I just wanted something to be sort of urban and squalid, but also funny. Mm. So I was driving around Hammersmith Broadway, and I saw that they were building what is now... Hammersmith Broadway. The only indication they gave to what it was going to look like was one window, which was just miles up in the air. And I looked at it and I thought, that is ridiculous. That is (laughs) hilarious. So that, I thought that would be funny. I hadn't really thought beyond that. So I got Rick and Aid out and we sat, we looked and they went out the windows and I was trying to do magnificent pullouts on a 35mm camera and trying to time it so there were tubes going past and stuff like that. Well, we managed to get the shot, and I said, that's great, we got a shot. And then we got down, and Aide went, he said, is that going to be enough, just that shot? And I went, don't know. He said, let's cover just in case. So it was his idea to go across the road, literally across the road, to a bench. Uh, and he said, he said, we'll do something. I said, okay, so I set the camera up across the road. He said, we'll think of something, just shoot. I went, okay. <laughs> so we shot, and you, they did what you see from yeah. the yeah. titles. And the bizarre bit was that when the bus goes past and Rick has disappeared mm. that was for real I had no <laughs> idea he was going to do that so <laughs> he, he saw the, the bus yeah. and ran 
when the bus came past <laughs> and just disappeared. It, it wasn't a special effect. There was no tricks. He just did it. Wow. And it was amazing. And, uh, and I have to give him full credit for that because that was the two of them. I did the silly shot with the, win sure. the windows, but they came up with that. And I had no idea what they were going to do. And they did it in one take. That's, that's an iconic. Yeah. That's an iconic Have you been scene. to the uh, Rick Bench at all? No, I haven't been to the Rick Bench yet. I passed it, uh -huh. but I've never found anywhere to park. But no, I will. I will. I want to go and sit on it and take a selfie. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today. Pleasure. And it's been an absolute pleasure on our part. Congratulations, you've got the job. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my agent's number is one. <laughs> so, uh, so, guys, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Talking Bottom. Please give us a follow. You can also email in with any questions or thoughts at 11 Parade at gmail.com. And if you want to email Ed by directly, what's your contact details? <laughs> <laughs> my agent <laughs> well thanks, thanks very much uh, again Ed and um, well we won't ever see you again probably but it's been an absolute <laughs> why pleasure. what have I done wrong <laughs> now let's go for a pint come on alright thanks Ed and thanks right. for listening everyone thank you very much take care goodbye Ed goodbye <laughs> it's funny because yeah. it's a joke on my yeah. name yeah.